Britney Spears is finally free from her conservatorship, Bella Hadid posts a series of crying selfies to Instagram, and Taylor Swift's album re-records are doing all too well. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bungwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to celebrate the rich history of culture and storytelling that we can all learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So Jazz, apart from seeing my beautiful face for dumplings and drinks on Friday night, what else have you been up to? I have had a very not exciting week, especially compared to the week before. I've just been working, working um, a few longer days than usual, but that's what you've got to do, especially when you start a new job and like adjusting to stuff. Um and yesterday, oh, yesterday was really nice. I obviously saw you Friday nights, had some cocktails, and it was really fun with some of the fashion journal girls. But then Saturday, I spent most of the day in bed, but I wasn't hungover like the weekend before. I <laughs> was just reading my book in bed. I was like alternating between TikTok, Taylor Swift talk, and my book. And it was, and like the rain was pouring outside. And I was like, I had breakfast and lunch in bed. Like, what a treat. Um, and then went out for dinner last night, just around the corner to like a cute Taiwanese fusion place and went to the markets today. So yeah, I guess it has been like a wholesome weekend trying to just recharge. Um, it's giving me autumn Christian girl vibes. (laughs) I actually honestly feel like I got lockdown PTSD yesterday when I went down for breakfast and then I came straight back upstairs. Like I got dressed into trackies or whatever and came back upstairs looked out the window it was raining and then I just got back into bed and started reading I was like oh my god this is like weekends in lockdown but it's nice when you're choosing to do it rather than like legally being forced you know (laughs) no exactly but you also haven't just been inside for the last few weeks you've been doing some running (laughs) Ooh, what a weird phrase from my mouth um but no tell us about it the running expert in the little culture club team (laughs) Yeah, so I am training for a half marathon, which is only four weeks away. I'm getting really nervous. And also I was so busy this week that I didn't train. Oh my God. So I'm like, I really have to get back on the horse this week. But basically I have always wanted to run a marathon. Obviously I'm just starting with a half, which is 21K. Um, That's hectic. (laughs) I'm so scared. Oh, sorry. No, not to scare (laughs) you, but don't be like, oh, I'm just doing a half. I'm so proud of you. That is incredible. Thank you. But continue. Yeah, it was like towards the end of lockdown and I was like, this year I feel like it's been another write-off. Like I know I've achieved stuff and whatever, but I was like, I just want to go out with a bang, you know. So, yeah, I signed up to the – Nike Melbourne Marathon and I'm actually trying to raise $1,000 for the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency. So they're the leading Aboriginal child and family welfare organization in Victoria and they protect and promote the rights of Aboriginal children and young people. So just some of the things they do is help Aboriginal people and their families who've been in contact with the justice system and they've provided support during the pandemic to families and they also run youth groups and services in communities and a lot more. You have very kindly donated to me and a few of my friends and I'm so grateful for my community, but I am actually $400 off my target. <gasps> so close. I'm so close and like I I felt like I was being so optimistic with a thousand, um, mm. especially because it was a bit slow to start. I think I had like $100 after like three weeks of kind of like promoting or whatever. But yeah, everyone's been so great in my second call out. But I just, with my last little push, I would really just love to um, ask Culture Club listeners, like if, I know it's been a hard time for everyone and things are probably tight with lockdown ending, but um, we will put the link in the Culture Club bio. And if you would like to donate to VACA and the Half Marathon, I'd really appreciate that. Um, 
just be, yeah, so, so great to end the year with like a positive, you know, and like raise money for charity. And yeah, so if you have the means and you would like to help out, then please click the link in our bio and I'd really appreciate that. And otherwise you'll see me mid-December like crawling to the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for sharing, Jazz. I am so excited as someone who actually has asked you to show me how to run in in front of me. We were literally just sitting down on a park bench. I'm like, Jazz, like give me a little demo and you did it beautifully. So I believe in you. We all believe in you. So, yes, I definitely encourage everyone else to get behind the cause as well. Thank you. It's very kind. Yeah, you're so funny. You're like, how do you actually run? Like, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. It was. It would have been funny oh. to watch me just, like, standing up from a park bench and just doing a few laps <laughs> and you're just watching. Yeah, like 10 metres this way, 10 metres that way. <laughs> We have to get straight into it this week because it has been a huge week for the queens of the 2000s, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, and Britney Spears. As we should all remember, these women have been through it between DUIs, the conservatorship, the misogynistic media, and more, but now they are all grown up and absolutely thriving, and we need to talk about it. First up, of course, is Britney Spears' conservatorship coming to an end. Woohoo! After a massive 13 years of being under a controlling conservatorship that meant she couldn't take out her own IUD, that meant that she was drugged and also unable to spend her own money, an LA judge officially released her on Friday. 13 years. So literally she hasn't experienced the 2010s normally like the rest of us Mm. I just can't wrap my head around this yeah well she hasn't been able to do much mostly um the judge deemed the conservatorship quote untenable and reflective of a toxic environment Brittany celebrated the news on Instagram saying it was the best day ever and sharing her love for fans behind the free Brittany movement she wrote good god I love my fans so much it's crazy I think I'm gonna cry the rest of the day Best day ever. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? I just love her so much. So cute. And also we have to give a shout out to her for putting her Christmas tree up on Instagram on October 16. She definitely deserves all the joy she can get. So I stand that very bold, brave move. No, love that. If it sparks joy, you do it, Brittany. In our February episode, we actually talked about this. It was called Free Britney, Bitch, and it was when the documentary came out about her, What the first of many that have come out this year. <laughs> um, yeah, so during the episode, we spoke about how Britney has been under this strict conservatorship that was controlled by her father, Jamie Spears. It began with her nervous breakdown in 2007, 2008, and since then, she's been forced to tour and perform, but also not able to live a normal life while her dad has been at the helm of her 60 million, which is 83.6 million Australian dollars estate. And the role gave him a monthly salary of 22,300 Australian dollars per month. So it's just like taking all the money and locking her up in a castle, drugging her. Can't She can't have any more kids. Well, hopefully now she can, but yeah, awful, awful. And back in June, Brittany called her dad an, quote, abusive conservator and accused him of forcing her to go on tour back in 2018 and sending her to a mental health facility against her will in 2019. Um, I also saw this caption of hers on Instagram, which was like, if I ever decide to have an interview and talk about my family, may Lord have mercy on their souls. Because my goodness, she's had some terrible people around her and I do not blame her for that statement at all it's so nice to hear her speaking out like that and like because for so long like the free Britney people and the movement were called like conspiracy theorists and like crazy fans you know but now they've helped her and she's obviously spoken out herself and been very brave and strong to do that so it's just so nice to see And she's also engaged to her personal trainer and model, Sam Ascari. They met on the set of her 2016 music video, Slumber Party. So congrats to them as well. Such happy news. 
such happy news and the happy news does not stop there no indeed we're just gonna snowball into the next (laughs) segment which is about miss paris hilton um she tied the knot last week with her partner carter ream in an extravagant bel air wedding America's OG influencer and an heiress to the Hilton Hotel Empire, Paris met her now husband 15 years ago and it's very cute. She says that they remained friends that whole time and they kind of reconnected back in 2019 at Thanksgiving and that's when she felt a spark. Um, she's giving me Christian girl energy again. Where's <laughs> <laughs> her Starbucks? Um, but yeah, and then that's kind of when this relationship started. So sweet. I love that. I love that our perception of Paris Hilton has changed so much in recent years, like learning that so much of her kind of brand was an act and like her voice is actually lower than it is and how she kind of just played up to the media in kind of similar way Mm. to the Kardashians. But anyway, back to this couple. He looks so normcore. He's like um, just 40-year-old author, entrepreneur, and venture capitalist, of course. Um, Paris wore so many beautiful dresses as well. She was definitely channeling Grace Kelly and wore the long sleeve floor length Oscar de la Renta gown. That was my personal favorite. Yes, the whole event was giving major fairy tale vibes. I didn't know this, but Paris has her own like blog slash website that's very quite active, which I did not know. Feels that. very nostalgic. I know, right? Um, I do feel like it's ghostwritten, surely. Like she's a busy lady. Um, but in the blog post about her wedding, she said, "Yesterday was a big day, my wedding. I finally got to kiss my prince and begin the happily ever after I've been dreaming of since I was a little girl. It was a true fairy tale wedding." I also love that she got married on 11-11 because such an angel number of a day, very on brand. And apparently she's also launching her own media company called 11-11 Media. So literally on brand. Very, very on brand. I don't know if we should be surprised or not, but this whole wedding journey has been super commercialized. So her and her partner actually recorded a podcast episode the night before. Imagine if we did that the night before our weddings. Very cute. And also a TV docuseries called Paris in Love has just dropped as well. I can't imagine how fast the editing team would have been working to get this all happening. At the time of recording, I also put on my detective hat and found that seven out of 11 of her last Instagram posts are sponsored or pointing towards either her docuseries or blog, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's her whole thing, right? She's a reality TV star. She was like... Hmm. A Kardashian before the Kardashians, so that's not surprising. Get your bag, Paris, even though you don't need any more as you're an heiress, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but another highlight, personal highlight, was the very cute photo of Kim Kardashian beaming at Paris as she adjusted her gown's train on Twitter. It was accompanied with the text, once her assistant, always her assistant, referencing, of course, that Kim used to be an assistant of Paris's. Um, Kim clarified in 2017 that it was more of a stylist role. But yeah, if you see early, early shots and photos of them together, it's like, yeah, Kim was Paris's assistant. So funny. And speaking of the Kardashians, Kendall Jenner alongside Bella Hadid and Hailey Bieber attended their friend and influencer Lauren Perez's Miami wedding. But what got people talking wasn't exactly the wedding itself, more so Kendall's choice of reception dress. Yes. If you haven't seen the pictures, Kendall wore a black dress with cutouts across the chest and stomach with little fabric on her torso and a drop waist black skirt. Um, It's very under booby, showing a lot of skin. Many people questioned whether it was wedding appropriate or maybe it was a distraction from the tragic events of Astroworld just one week before, which we obviously spoke about last week. I it definitely got me thinking. I mean, I wasn't surprised because it's a Kardashian and like they love to be the center of attention. But it just got me thinking about like there's actually more sartorial wedding rules than just don't wear white. Mm. Like that's not 
it's just so tacky. Oh, interesting. Okay, we're going to kind of disagree, which I love. Um, I would say it is a big, I guess, contrast from the actual ceremony of the wedding. Mm. It was quite like a conservative wedding um she was a bridesmaid and she had to like wear this kind of off the shoulder blue almost floor length gown that was just quite simple let's say Mm -hmm. um but in the in the reception you know she had this like mirror selfie with a few of her friends and they did have way more relaxed casual Mm. outfits and no I don't think her outfit was totally wedding appropriate like I wouldn't wear that to a (laughs) wedding but I also think like I don't think it was a massive choice in her head. She wasn't like, I need to make a statement or I need to stand out or I need to make a distraction or whatever. But that's the thing. This is her fashion choice. I think it's so subconscious for them to be the center of attention. I saw a TikTok of like other times Kardashians have worn, like Kim and Kylie have worn certain dresses to other wedding receptions. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like Kendall's was especially bad. If someone wore that to my wedding, I'd be like, Oh, yeah. It's, it's not a random. club, you know? And it was a Jewish wedding as well. Like, it was a religious wedding. Um, so in my head, I'm like, that seems a bit disrespectful to me. But that's like a whole well, yeah. story. But, I mean, what, yeah, it's not just showing skin, but it's like the style of the dress was so, like, and I'm not conservative. Like, I am like, I'm yeah, a tits girl. girl. Yeah, I'm a tits <laughs> and ass girl. But, like, I don't know. But but am I judging her because she's Kendall Jenner? Well, that's what's interesting to me because I saw the headlines around this, which is like scandalous, like skimpy dress choice by Kendall Jenner. And when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is like a super trendy dress at the moment. Like that's the style that's in vogue. Um, But it doesn't excuse it. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm like half... I thought it would be more scandalous, to be honest, even though it right. is like, so revealing. Like, how much more revealing can you get? But, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. That's like, it reminds me of when I went to my partner's cousin's wedding in Scotland and the only dress that was, like, that I wanted to wear because it was red was, like, quite booby. And I felt, like, quite uncomfortable just rocking up to this family wedding with, like, my tits out. <laughs> so I got this tartan scarf and I, like, wrapped it over my my shoulders and my top and like pinned it with a brooch so you can like make things a bit more like traditional and classic and but then but then it's the whole thing of like women's bodies are automatically sexualized and like Mm. you're even just by existing you're like putting a message out there and I'm always for like tearing down those things but I feel like the wedding a wedding isn't the place to do that you know yeah, and it's like if this was a funeral, <laughs> we would be saying the same thing, like, mm. oh, that's not event appropriate. Yeah. And I, I like I I know this feels like a weird line we're treading. Like I think our listeners will totally understand what we mean in the sense of like, obviously a woman can wear what she wants. We're not slut shaming mm. her. But we're saying, Oh, like, is it appropriate for a wedding? We personally probably wouldn't dress, wouldn't wear that to a wedding, but oh yeah. I don't feel squeamish right now. I know. Well, I love when we have topics come up like this when, yeah, we can question ourselves as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But mm. we have to move on swiftly again because we haven't even finished the Holy Trinity. Lindsay Lohan, everyone's fave child star, is also back in the acting world. This week, Netflix released a shot of Lindsay Lohan in a new Netflix Christmas movie, which is coming out next year. It's actually untitled at the moment. It's simply called Untitled Holiday Rom-Com. Thank God. I thought that was the name of the actual film. (laughs) I was like, wow, is this trying to be meta? Yeah, (laughs) so meta. But it's actually about a newly engaged, spoiled hotel heiress. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So meta again. Um, But this is according to the logline. And this hotel heiress gets amnesia after a skiing accident and, quote, finds herself in the care of a handsome blue-collar large owner and his precocious daughter in the days leading up to Christmas. You get all the accents in. Mm-hmm. But I love that. Me too. I love oh my God, corny it sounds so trashy. <laughs> the blue-collar lodge owner is played by Court Overstreet, a.k.a. Sam Evans from Glee, making a comeback as well. I personally am so excited for Lindsay's acting return. 
Me too. Me too. She has honestly been like at the pinnacle of so many incredible rom-coms over the years and I just miss her. I think that um, Just My Luck is also underrated. So good. Oh my God. Just My Luck is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And I feel like no one talks about it. And McFly are in it. McFly. I know. It's so good. Oh my gosh. I want to make a carousel about Just My Luck now. Mm. Love them. I know, right? We should. Who's that guy in it again? He's a hottie. Oh my god, it's gonna annoy me. He looks like one like this normal. He looks like the guy that there's like five guys that look exactly the same. Yes, it's not Chris Pine, it's the other one. Yeah, and he looks like the guy in Suddenly 30, but it's not. Not Suddenly 30. Not, sorry. Um, no Mark Ruffalo. I meant I meant 27 dresses. Anyway, sorry, the Oh my god, it is Chris Pine. It is Chris Pine. Oh, Awkward. It seems so, I guess it was like 15 years ago. Okay. Anyway, sorry, moving on again. (laughs) Okay. But to wrap up this mega happy segment of all these Mm. beautiful naughty stars that have gone through so much pain that's inflicted by the public and by the media, it is awesome to see them all blossoming in their own right. And it's really, it's really refreshing and it's just, I just wish them all happiness. Like this is so great that we can just talk about them without dissecting like what the media is doing to them. This is a time of celebration. Totally. Apart from Kendall Jenner. Sorry, Kendall. I know. Sorry, I was going to say. <laughs> but she wasn't a naughty's queen. She's now, so we can. <laughs> She's now, so we can. Uh, we can take it. <laughs> Love you. Last week, supermodel Bella Hadid took to Instagram to post a carousel that was unlike her typical photoshoot images and crisp selfies. With over 2.2 million likes currently, she uploaded a series of crying selfies, spurred on by a video by Willow Smith speaking up about mental health. We'll play that now. Of not thinking that you're good enough or being insecure about your art is, is natural, but at the same time, I feel like it's taught. All humans are different, and every single human has something so unique and special to offer. And people forget that everyone is basically feeling the same way. Lost, confused, not really sure why they're here, anxiety. Like, everyone is feeling that and trying to cover it up in some sort of way. We're going to come together in our flaws in our insecurities, in our joy, in our happiness, and accept it all as beautiful and as natural. That's what's gonna break down those walls and make everyone be like, nah, I understand you and your pain and your joy. We're gonna be okay. A snippet of Bella's caption read, this is pretty much my every day, every night for a few years now. Social media is not real. For anyone struggling, please remember that. Sometimes all you've got to hear is that you're not alone. So from me to you, you're not alone. I love you, I see you, and I hear you. Self-help and mental illness, chemical imbalances, is not linear, and it is almost like a flowing roller coaster of obstacles. It has its ups and downs and side to sides. Not sure why, but it feels harder and harder to not share my truth on here. Thank you for seeing me, and thank you for listening. I love you. Yes. Wow. Okay, Jazz, I want to know what were your what was your first reaction to seeing or hearing about this? I actually didn't hear. I feel like I missed it and then I didn't um hear about it until Refinery put up an article. Um always on the ball, but then I felt we're going to reference the article later, but I agreed with the sentiment of like it is a weird feeling when celebrities with these massive privileges acknowledge their mental health struggles. And it's not saying that they can't because it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or if you are poor, like mental health is mental health. But it is always a bit jarring to see. I, do you agree? It does. Yeah. Ta- it just takes me aback a little bit. I'm like, ooh. But then when I read it, like when I read that out, it's like, fair enough. Everyone has stuff to go through okay that makes me feel better I basically had the same reaction but I first saw a headline about it and it just had that pull quote from her caption that was like 
social media is not real. And, and I just rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, 2014. Like, wow, Tumblr post. Um, I was like, oh, we get it. Like, we know this stuff already. But then, yeah, when I actually looked at her post, and number one, the first thing that kind of shook me about her uh, her crying selfies was like, these were not intended for public consumption. You can tell, You can see that from how, like, unflattering some of these are. And I found this interesting. I want to talk to you about this because a lot of discourse on Twitter was talking about how, like, why did she take photos of herself crying? Like, a lot of people didn't understand that. But I think that's such a normal thing for our generation. You do it heaps. (laughs) (laughs) Exposing me. I do. Um, I just feel like it conveys how you're feeling instantly to your friends. I mean, I don't post it on my main account or whatever. Um, it's usually just close friend story or like DMing you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I feel like it's like a bit more, um, it's a bit more not confronting. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. It just gets my point across more quickly. That's why I take those selfies. Oh. But I definitely don't post them for like general public consumption. Just because I'm like, who cares what I'm crying about? Not because I think I look ugly or anything. Oh, no. Okay, no, that's really interesting. So sometimes I'll take – thank you for asking. I'll take crying (laughs) selfies. But, like, I don't even send them to anyone. I just do it not as a grounding thing, but it's like, Mm. like, you know when you, like, throw off a peace sign and, like, duck face when you're crying? You're like, lol or whatever. It's just – I don't know. I don't think too much about it. But I do think crying selfies are quite normal in the same age. Yeah, that's a good point. That's an article there. Why do we even take crying selfies? And like our parents and our grandparents would be like, what the hell are you doing? I know. If we, if we told them we did that, you know? Completely. Um, but yeah, back to Bella, um, the reason why we're talking about this, I do think it's very safe to say that mental health struggles, at least on the surface, have become a lot more normalized on social media. And of course, you know, research shows that this destigmatization creates more empathy and understanding. So there are a lot of pros that come with sharing your own mental health struggles. Um, but like you touched on before, in this case, one of the world's biggest supermodels sharing her struggles on like her platform has brought up some mixed emotions. I felt a little bit random like I couldn't pinpoint how I felt about it it feels so random (laughs) no I know what you mean and like you mentioned before Refinery29 Australia's style and living editor Pema Bakshi wrote about this her article is called when it comes to mental health does Bella Hadid's privilege matter and we actually have asked Pema to read out a few quotes for us in her own words so here they are As a viewer, there are a lot of mixed feelings around celebrities who get real about their mental health struggles. On the one hand, we're inclined to feel empathy for anyone going through trying times. And celebrities are clearly not immune to grief, anxiety, and every other emotion weaved into the human experience. But on the other hand, there is an instinct, however unconscious, to question the substance of the struggles. We demand gratitude for what they have, for what we don't. But the hesitation to trust these as non-performative displays isn't necessarily done in malice. So much psychology and research goes into marketing people. So if your instinct is to second guess anything and everything on social media, you're not a bad person or dead inside. But it is important to give people, even 25-year-old millionaires, the space to not be okay. Skepticism isn't necessarily a problem, but it can be when it manifests in undue anger. But no one, including celebrities and the rich and powerful, needs to be happy all the time. And it's important to remember that depression is not the absence of gratitude. What's also worth recognising is that our initial responses to information aren't concrete and aren't necessarily reflective of our feelings on mental health as a whole. You're not a bad person if you question someone's problems, but it could be worth channeling the criticism elsewhere. I loved this article so much and 100% agreed with it in terms of, yeah, definitely the feeling of like it, it feels icky when it's celebrities, especially after the last two years that we've gone through and like, seeing I mean this is like personal and projecting but like seeing celebrities being able to fly all across the world for the last two years while we've been stuck in our homes especially in Melbourne has like made me so angry because it just I mean even Australian celebrities like Troye Sivan like going to LA and all these things is like it just is really hard when 
you're sitting at home and then you have celebrities like crying on Instagram about other stuff. And I'm like, but you have privileges. But then, you know, you and I have privileges, like, of course. But like, completely. Then that you get into a whole argument of like, well, then no one who has any form of privilege should share how they're feeling, you know? Yeah, no, completely. And I think like Pema mentioned in the article and she talks to a psychologist about it for the piece, um, but that skepticism on social media is completely healthy. Like we need to be critical of what mm. we're consuming online because we know so much of it is just fabricated and can be constructed. I found it very interesting that at the time of writing when Pema actually wrote the article, Bella's post wasn't actually performing that well. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> like, sorry, I had like 600,000 likes um, <laughs> in like the first 24 hours. Now it has um, increased. But now it has you know gotten over two million likes and we know that relatability and vulnerability is social clout as well and that she can in some ways benefit of this obviously I'm not saying that she's done it maliciously but we are being skeptical because that's how we were raised as like you know on social media we need that Mm, I agree If you thought Taylor Swift couldn't get any bigger than last year when she released two albums, then think again. This week, Taylor not only re-released her 2012 album Red so that she could own the rights, but she also smashed Spotify records. According to Spotify, on Friday, November the 12th, Red, Taylor's version, broke the record for the most streamed album in a day by a female and broke the record for the most streamed female in a day in Spotify's history. And if you look on the US charts, especially right now, she has every song in the top 30. Like, it's like Taylor, 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 Taylor. And then there's like Stop it. one I saw last night. It was like Juice World. Um, and then it was like Taylor, 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 Taylor. And then like Adele. It's like crazy. No, I'm so happy for her. But I have also seen a few people confused about about why she is doing this. So if you aren't sure why Taylor is re-recording and releasing her first six albums again, it's because she's making it her mission to create the masters to her own music so that she can regain some control over her own back catalogue. Yes, and she came to this decision after manager Scooter Braun, who manages <laughs> manages people like Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, and Demi Lovato. He purchased her former big machine label and was selling her masters to investment firm Shamrock Holdings for $300 million. And then she was like, no way is that happening because it would mean that her masters would be owned by Scooter. And, of course, Scooter is also someone who allegedly facilitated Kanye West's music video, Famous, where a model of Taylor Swift is laying naked in bed next to Kanye. And, of course, that was all during 2016 when Taylor disappeared for a year, lots of internet trauma and dissection and all of that stuff. So in 2019, Taylor said on Tumblr, Essentially, my music legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. Completely. And just for some background info, because I had not heard um, of the phrase masters, a master recording refers to the actual original recording of like a song or an album. So as explained in an article titled Taylor Swift's re-recordings exposed the music industry's chokehold on intellectual property for Refinery29 Australia by musician Eilish Gilligan. Taylor was legally allowed to re-record her albums because she had the publishing rights to them, which is a, quote, form of copyright that pertains to the song itself, not any recordings of that song. Yeah, Eilish also pointed out that the rights to the masters of Taylor Swift's first six albums were a major asset in the original sale of Big Machine. Master recordings, especially those from hugely popular artists like Taylor Swift are almost completely passive earners as the tracks rack up streams and digital sales over the years, which is obviously going to be a great financial benefit to them. Mm. Um, So yeah, anyone wishing to license any of Taylor Swift's original masters, you know, for inclusion in films or for remixes would have to actually pay a sizable licensing or sync fee to Shamrock Holdings. Mm. 
I saw on TikTok that Shamrock is not happy about all this and is actually considering suing Scooter because of it. Because, like, in the negotiations, this isn't fact, like, this is just off on the internet. I tried to find the video, but I lost it. But apparently, allegedly, um, Scoot, like, during the negotiations, Scooter was like, you have all of Taylor Swift's six albums. They're going to get played for the rest of time. So <laughs> you'll want this deal because you've got them and now Taylor has been like, not nah, don't listen to them and like rallied her fans. Mm-hmm. So super interesting. She actually signed a 13-year record deal with Big Machine Label when she was just 15 years old. Is that mad? And 15, God, it's like, of course, you're 15, you're so excited. Like hopefully she had some legal look over it, but like you wouldn't think twice. Like that's crazy. Completely. There were some kind of victim blamey um, comments left around some of these articles being like, Taylor Swift should have just been smarter and not signed this deal. Like she should have known what she was getting into. She was literally 15 years old. Like, calm down. 15. I'm trying to think what I was doing at 15. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Nothing, like no responsibility like that. And to think it's going to, you know, influence the next 13 years of your career. We've already referenced this article a lot by Eilish, but the Australian musician noted that it, this isn't uncommon in the music industry. And Eilish was kind enough to read out some of her own words for us. So here they are. No artist is immune to the evils of the industry. Charlie XCX is constantly outspoken on social media about issues artists can have with labels. When enigmatic artist Shamir couldn't be persuaded by his label to continue making pop music, they unceremoniously dropped him. Earlier this year, pop songwriter Ray called out her label Polydor, alleging that despite signing her in 2014, they have since refused to release her debut album. The poor treatment trickles down from the very peak of the mainstream industry all the way to the smaller, independent pockets. As an artist myself, I have had several traumatic and devastating experiences within the Australian music industry. Contracts have been waved threateningly in front of my face and just as easily ripped out from underneath me when it suits the manager, label or whichever industry representative I was working with at the time. I've been gaslit, manipulated, abandoned and interrogated by people in this industry and never once felt like I've been the more powerful person in any of these situations. In fact, I, like so many others who make music, have been rendered completely powerless on too many occasions to count. Each time it happens, I'm haunted by a familiar longing to bring these people to justice or, at the very least, remind the industry that musicians are the reason for the industry's very existence. Every label executive, every agent, every player has musicians to thank for their livelihoods. Without musicians, there is no music and there is no music industry. I'd say musicians never actually asked for a music industry, but at some point someone realised that money could be made from musicians and the rest is painful, sad history. That's why it's so refreshing, so genuinely healing to watch Swift painstakingly re-record and re-release her first six studio albums in order to retain ownership over the masters. The re-recordings are a huge statement, one which may seem like a petty overreaction to some, but will undeniably have some very real consequences within the music industry over the next few years. Even aside from this, I am just happy to watch this woman, arguably the most powerful woman in the music industry, reclaim a sense of power and ownership over her work. Yes, I'm so happy that today is such a happy episode. Like today, this is such a massive celebration of Taylor, not even just for Taylor and I guess her financial success, but also for her fans. Like this has meant so much to so many people. It's been so interesting to watch the reaction to this album compared to Fearless because Mm -hmm. that was released in April and like obviously All Too Well is like a huge, huge song. So maybe that's been the catalyst. It's just been so lovely to see everyone embracing themselves and embracing the childhoods and just being so authentic about their love. And I've definitely been a part of this. I was posting for almost two days straight about her. (laughs) And I just thought I was like, oh, I should probably start. I should slow it down. And I was like, no, she makes me so happy. This is such a big cultural moment. That album came out when I was 16. And like that was the time when Taylor Swift was just for teen girls and her fans were talked down to. And basically any time before recently, really, has that been the case. And so I always, I 
wasn't afraid to say I was a fan, but I definitely kind of like suppressed my fangirl behavior a tad because I didn't want to be considered a crazy Taylor Swift Mm. fan. And so it's just been lovely to see women like of all ages, like teenagers who weren't there or like who were really little the first time around to women in their 30s who like, you know, were like the same age as Taylor, like going through the albums. It's just been so, so nice to see. Yes, and that sentiment has been echoed by a friend of the podcast, Bianca Hill. One really, I think, really important thing that she put in her story read, I'm not going to censor myself anymore over that one thing slash person that makes me absolutely stupidly happy and excited. Like if we if we just break it down to the crux of it, she's a musician that has helped and has brought joy to just so many people in the world. And the fact that that can be so divisive, regardless of whether you like someone's music, you know, is just is just such a strange concept. And I think we've all gone through this. Like I didn't realize how much I love Taylor Swift. I think until this came out, and I felt like I was allowed to. Yeah, like, so I was screaming along to the lyrics, and it was just incredible. I think her music is some of the music that's charged with the most nostalgia for me. It just totally. takes me back to so many emotions and all my crushes and everything. So it's great. <laughs> so sweet. Um, also, we briefly need to talk about the 10-minute version of All Too Well. Um, to accompany the 10-minute version, which is amazing, Taylor also created a short film starring Stranger Things, Sadie Sink, and Teen Wolf's Dylan O'Brien. And the actors are 19 and 30. There has been a lot of chat um, about their act- the actor's age gap. What do you what did you think of the movie and and the age gap between actors? It was such a divine watch. I really loved seeing like a 90-minute film squashed down to 10 minutes. You really experience a roller coaster of emotions. And in terms of that age gap that you're talking about, it was 100 percent like the first thing you notice in the film. There, I personally think that. Sadie looked incredibly young next to him and I think that was on purpose and of course this mimics a relationship of Taylor and Jake Gyllenhaal um, <laughs> and Taylor was 20 and he was 29 when they were together so there was a nine-year age difference between them which you know basically mirrors this. Wow yes it's been so interesting like seeing all of the comments being like oh my god I can't believe that they cast Sadie in this and blah blah and it's like that's the point yes (laughs) the point you're meant to feel uncomfortable um something I also wanted to clear up in an interview with Jimmy Fallon Taylor was saying that these lyrics are what she wrote when she was like 20 um but then people were saying the lyrics are you were tossing me the car keys fuck the patriarchy key ring in your hand it seems like when you're singing it that it's a fuck the patriarchy key ring, but like that was wasn't around in 2010. It was like 2016 mm. girl boss era. The lyrics are like fuck the patriarchy, like he's saying it to her while he's throwing her the keys. Right. So it's like you toss me the car keys, fuck the patriarchy to her, and then the key ring key ring fell on the ground or whatever. And I just I feel like I had to clear that out because I was like, why is there a fuck the patriarchy key ring? This is like historically culturally wrong but that's cleared up now like a moment of silence for people who have no clue what we're talking about have never heard this song <laughs> did not watch yes. video. um sorry about this little conspiracy theory <laughs> hole that we just fouled into for the last 30 seconds but no thank you for clarifying i didn't realize that i've had it on repeat for the last two three days and i'm still discovering the bolt songs the phoebe bridges song fucked me up um but yeah love it obsessed and I'm so happy for everyone who is just like embracing this and having so much fun it feels like a lot of fun and the internet is really a fun Mm. place you know Mm, exactly it feels very joyful and I've said that word like 50 times during this episode but who knows most likely next week we'll be hit with another massive sad news story or something that we have to critically and culturally dissect so we're relishing in this have you been watching reading or listening to anything worth recommending to us this week jazz 
I, last night, began a new series on Stan. It's called The Deceived. Now, I'm not normally into dramas, psychological thrillers, um, anything too stressful, but this really caught my eye. It was on the homepage of Stan, and it is a fictional story about this young woman named Ophelia, who's played by Emily Reed. While studying at Cambridge, Ophelia falls for her married lecturer who is married to a successful novelist, reminds me a little bit of like Sally Rooney-esque, like British Mm. kind of in the 30s writer. Um, Ophelia and this lecturer's affair is interrupted by a shocking and tragic death. Very mysterious. Um, Ophelia ends up going up to Ireland with this professor and living with him in this like creepy Irish house in the middle of nowhere and you know chaos ensues it is actually written by the same writer as Derry Girls it features Orla from Derry Girls as well and the the dad from Derry Girls so like amazing cast and also the heartthrob is Paul Mescal beautiful okay so he's not the person that dies okay that sounds good (laughs) (laughs) and he's not the lecturer either he is another guy um but yeah it came out last year and I didn't hear anything about it like what the hell it's also a mini series there's only four episodes they're about 45 minutes each so power through two last night we'll probably finish the rest tonight so yeah it's so so good and it has me on the edge of my seat and like I said I'm not normally a Mm. scary thriller drama type of person but the writing is amazing. I feel like it's so underrated. Maybe I just missed the boat and like everyone's watched it and I just totally missed it. But yeah, if you are interested in watching Paul Mescal in general, speaking Gaelic and just being Irish um, and you love a drama, would we'll definitely recommend that. Wow. Love that for you. <laughs> It's such a, I guess, left field one, but also not for you, I feel. So, okay, that sounds good. I hadn't heard much about that, or if like anything, to be honest. Um, but cool. Enjoy the rest of that. Thank you. I'm so excited. What have you been loving? Um, I have a Netflix Christmas movie to recommend because, <gasps> yes. yay, Netflix Christmas time. Um, and the one I am bringing up is Love Hard. So Love Hard stars Nina Dobrev and Jimmy O. Yang. And without really spoiling anything, it's a light romance that centers around catfishing. Okay, so don't be put off by the bad reviews. Um, And a lot of people are kind of understandably pissed that it justifies catfishing in a way, though I do think It doesn't fully, but anyway, we won't get into that now. Um, I just really enjoyed this, especially, I think, for its mark on Asian representation. I wrote about it for Refinery29 Australia, and I kind of was just mentioning that, you know, we've seen a lot of strides for Asian representation in film in recent years. You think of, like, currently in the cinemas, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. We've also seen, like, Bling Empire and Crazy Rich Asians. But the kind of type of Asian men that we've seen on our screens and that is acceptable is that kind of hunky beefcake, you Mm. know what I mean? So I'm just going to read out a little bit of my piece, if that's okay. Of course, go for it. But I have to ask, which type of Asian man is acceptable in Hollywood's eyes? The buff and mixed race likes of Henry Golding, Charles Melton and Darren Barnett are mainstream eye candy now, but a far cry from the average Asian guy you probably went to school with. That's why Love Hard feels somewhat groundbreaking. What we're seeing is a 30-year-old Chinese guy in his parents' basement, someone who is deeply insecure, short, without mega-ripped abs and not Hollywood in-your-face attractive. Of course, Josh Lin is played by Jimmy O. Yang, the talented Hong Kong American actor, stand-up comedian and writer who starred in Silicon Valley, Crazy Rich Asians, The Internship and more. But while he's been celebrated in the comedy scene, Love Hard propels him to love interest worthy status. And like, oh my God, when I was writing that, I'm like trying to, I want to make it clear. He's not ugly. And I'm not trying to say that he's ugly or whatever. <laughs> like this, this article um, is not a dig at Jimmy O. Yang, bless him. But it was just really refreshing to seeing, to see a guy that looked like guys I knew, I guess, on screen and kind of 
actually put them in main character love interest um, roles, not just the nerdy sidekick or the best friend that's funny or whatever other stereotype we get cast into. Um, But yeah, while it's a rom-com that's far from perfect, I do applaud its effort. And overall, somehow it feels like an early 2010 rom-com, which like hits a spot, like they're the best ones, you know what I mean? So that's my recommendation. 100%. I, one, didn't know that Henry Golding was mixed race. That's interesting. And two, he's like the first person that I think of when I think of like Asian representation in film. And I think that's because of Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, and um, if you didn't recognize the third name in that list, um, Darren Barnett, he's a guy never have I ever. But yeah, Henry Golding is half white and half Asian. Mm-hmm. One other film that that kind of reminds me of, and which I love, is Always Be My Maybe. Have you seen that? Yeah, I don't love it. Oh, really? <laughs> I think it's so corny and so sweet, and yes. it's got Randall Park in it, and like he's mm. a good-looking guy, but not in that like hunky beefcake way that you were mentioning before. So 100%. that's another really good one. And Ali Wong is hilarious, yes. of course. Yes, yes, yes. They're a dynamic duo. I need to rewatch that. I think it was just like a super ultra cheesy rom-com. Yeah. But you know what? You have like, to be in the mood for those yeah. movies. Yes, yeah, super Still cheese. Good. Well, I'm keen to watch that now. I actually saw it on my Netflix last night and I was like, oh, Maggie wrote an article about that. And mm. I was going to watch it, but I finished Big Mouth instead. So oh, my God. Yeah, I'm watching that too. Okay, hello. I just finished the season love okay I'm not yet so we'll talk about it later yeah it's I didn't realize it'd be your humor anyway tangent okay (laughs) all righty well we've gone through a lot today I hope that we didn't speak too fast I know we really did we really did we're busting here in our seats yeah hope everyone could keep up and yes if you are able to donate to Vaca org that would be super helpful and the link will be in our bio otherwise find us on instagram at culture club pod and give us a review if you enjoyed this episode because it really helps us out yay yay thank you so much again for tuning in we will talk to you soon bye bye bye